0: hello, Essendon. I see you've brought in your new CEO. Let's get his account and his office set up and everything. I remember Mr. Thorburn from his time with NAB. I see he's in charge of a church now, and he's gone. This line is for AFL clubs with CEOs only. Please step aside.
1: Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes.
2: Oh, yeah. plays on.
1: Trust that at least some of you are able to understand that South Park reference. I mean, I know nothing compares to The Simpsons in Australia, but seems like enough people watch South Park. From my little two seconds of research, looks like it gets pretty good TV ratings, so... The point is Essendon's joke. Welcome to Americans Watching the Footy from South San Francisco, California. I am Benjamin Castle alongside my brother, Ethan. That is correct. I am them. Um, There was... Gotta be like 15 years ago now, there was a, like a recording of someone calling the police department, reporting a drunk driver, and then, you know, they asked them, are you, you know, are they in front of you, behind you? I am them. You am them. I am them. Ah, Okay, it was, um, it was in 2009 in Wisconsin, which makes sense because Wisconsin is one of the states that has more bars than grocery stores. Great place, wonderful people, shit weather, and if the weather was nicer, I would seriously consider living there. But yeah, I I am them. This is our 68th episode, and this is our first post-season episode. You know, no men's games to preview in the immediate, and we are nearly as well acquainted with the women's game, though I did watch some action this past week, a couple exciting games, watched a decent chunk of Geelong and the Western Bulldogs, which ended up being one point, although it was really seven until the Bulldogs kicked one right at the end. So Kilda and Collingwood was a good game. There's just not a whole lot of parity, P-A-R-I-T-Y, in the league yet. I said it last time, the lack of strength in some state-level competitions is going to hurt them for a while, especially, for example, New South Wales not having anything akin to VFLW. Hopefully the Giants and Swans can get into that league, or maybe they should establish like another league-wide reserves competition. I'm not entirely sure on that front. But yeah, we are much stronger in terms of analyzing and just talking about the men's sport. And we've been looking at a whole lot of trade stuff because, well, some of it involves each of our clubs. Ethan, your cats in particular are a topic of discussion for a lot of good reasons. And I'm just going to kick this off by saying... Salary cap management is one of their biggest strengths. Some of it is players taking discounts because of, as the guys on Chaps Chat Cats like to talk about, the culture. But I don't know if in any sport anyone's ever been more excited to acquire a former top pick that didn't really pan out. Because it's not that you're getting Jack Bows. It's that you're getting the seventh overall pick because it's a salary dump. And the Cats will probably be able to restructure that deal, too. Oh, and Ali Henry's probably coming home. We think that deal will get done. He's out of contract at Collingwood. More than anything, I've begun to understand just how much weight the family factor or the go-home factor carries in Australia. And I can see two main reasons why. One, you know, these guys aren't making North American major sport-level money by any means. And two, just the isolation and distance between states and major metropolitan areas. And I've begun to understand from our conversations with Australians that a lot of Australians just stay around the area in which they grew up, stay in their home state compared to greater movement that we have here in the United States and Canada. For example, you could go into like any room in the Bay Area and find a whole lot of people who are going to move to Austin or... My favorite was, you know, like in the Midwest, I think like Indianapolis was the example that was given. You could go into a classroom, you know, like a high school classroom and tell the kids, look to your left. Now look to your right. In 10 years, half of you will have moved to Denver. A lot of people from the Midwest moved to Denver. Don't blame them. Cool city. Yeah, and if you're from a place with crappy weather, you can put up with the weather changing every five seconds. Yeah, we are spoiled by the weather here in the Bay Area, particularly on the peninsula. The other thing that I've begun to understand is just the power that the players union has. And through that, the power that the individual players have in terms of being able to request trades, request specific destinations in trades. It's almost the opposite of the leagues here in the United States where the teams have control. And, you know, some players may have no trade clauses, full or limited, Some top players may be full-on no-move clauses, but those are exceptions to the rule. So, basically, it's GameStop, you're saying. You're really pulling out a power-to-the-players reference? Yes, and because you don't get compensated appropriately. So, for those of you that don't know, GameStop is... I think they would actually understand GameStop because of the whole stock market volatility thing, but... Oh, well, it's, it's a video game store... That's notorious for buying used games from people for way less than they should be. And also just employees not getting good wages at all. But yeah, you bring in a used game there and they'll give you like two dollars. I don't know if GameStop reaches that far, but there have gotta be shitty businesses like that everywhere. But yeah, they're they're on some next level shit. I wonder just how many countries understand GameStop now because of the whole Wall Street bets thing, because that stock was a focus along with AMC. That kind of died off, the whole Wall Street bets thing. Thankfully. There were elements of it that were fun. Seeing how much people can get together and fuck over the earliest form of legalized gambling. It's a shame we can't do that with oil and gas prices because gas prices are fucking insane. And it's only going to get worse with these bastards at OPEC cutting production. But getting back to the topic of trades and Geelong Yes, they trotted out the oldest team for the grand final. Most but they, experienced team. That too. But a lot of the most important players this year have been on the younger side. They're going to continue to get younger. You know, they won't have to do a full rebuild at any point. Yeah, my belief is that the next few years, you know, you may not see another flag, but you're going to see more finals appearances and probably be similar to where Richmond is right now, where it's kind of bridging the gap between old and young. I hope with fewer punch to the dick type losses than Richmond had this past year, because they got punched in the dick a lot for a team that was so good. I mean, they punched themselves in the dick a couple times, too, losing to North, having five defenders back only for Joe Danaher to kick that goal that sunk them in the finals. The Suns lost. I mean, this is a team that lost nine games and had one draw over the course of the year, and that one draw was (laughs) self-inflicted. And you can take out the Cats and Swans games because they just got beat in those. But out of the 10 games they didn't win, even if you take those two out, there's still three very, very big dick punches. And that's without us hardly thinking about their season as a whole. So I'd like for these next few years at Geelong to be like Richmond in the transition side of things. I'd like it to be nothing like Richmond in the... Blowing games in really stupid fashion side of things, whether that be Ben Miller's turnover or Noah Cumberland playing on or Jason Castagna's entire season. He's a player that we really like shitting on here. (laughs) One of the reasons I don't feel bad for ripping on him is because his actual talent level is so high. It's not like this is just a guy who has no business being out there and is completely overmatched. I mean, the dude's got three premiership medals. Yeah, I think he can take a little criticism then. But it's also just like, he could be so much more. Richmond is the topic of a lot of discussion around now because they've already completed one trade with the Giants and they're trying to get another. So Richmond, of course, got Tim Taranto for their first two selections in this year's draft, currently number 12 and number 19. Of course, those can change based on bids and things like that. But Taranto was the biggest target And now they're trying to see if they can also swing a deal for Jacob Hopper. And that's proving more difficult. Yeah, Hopper was linked to Geelong at one point. I like the way GWS are going about this move. They don't just want picks. They want players in return. They've been asking for a couple pieces. Sounds like Yvonne Solda was the name they've tried to get into the conversation. And with their main ruck option being so volatile, I guess would be a good word, or unreliable, because Braden Proust cannot keep himself on the field, it would be a good idea for them to bolster their stock there. I mean, I'm just not sure if Kieran Brace can take on that role full-time, or Matt Flynn, because I don't think Flynn has the full-field capabilities that Proust or Soldo do. It's just frustrating because all of those guys have sky-high potential. But there's a reason Proust is bounced around like he has. Yeah, Proust is a lot of times just more trouble than he's worth. Not that he's... Any off field issues, but he gives away stupid 50s and gets suspended all the time. Anyway, with Adam Kingsley on board, he's got pretty good knowledge of the guys at Richmond, and one of the players he wants is one of the players that we really like in Hugo Ralph Smith. That's AFL Grand Final Sprint Champion Hugo Ralph Smith to you, brother. Very glad he got a little bit of recognition for that. Disappointed that that wasn't really shown as much on U.S. networks. I'm sure Fox Footy had it in some capacity, but I was busy at that time anyway. I'm all in favor of any opportunity that lets him play more, which may be a little tough at Richmond right now, whereas at GWS, I would hope he'd be able to get in there pretty regularly. He's an exciting player. He's not a perfect player by any means, but he's young. He's developing. He's only 20, but... The speed he offers, there's some real potential there. You see what guys who can control themselves while playing at a high speed can do. Guys like Brad Close. Guys like Nick Blakey when the Swans are at their best and when he isn't necessarily kicking out after behinds. There's so many players like that, and that's becoming a more and more important position in today's game. And Hugo could definitely be that kind of player. It's a question of do you want to start him in the back fifty. I think that would be the best move, but the Giants have some pieces that they could have back there to begin with. Maybe having Ralph Smith on one side opposite like a Lockie Whitfield or something like that if Whitfield sticks around. I think there are so many things you could do with Ralph Smith, maybe maybe even on a wing because speed on the wing is pretty valuable. Or- That's exactly why I was saying have him opposite Whitfield. Or you could have him in multiple roles as kind of a link guy, whether it's linking the defenders to the midfield or linking the midfield to the forwards. In this hypothetical where he does get to the Giants with their midfield being so crowded, I would imagine he would be more of a link from the back. The Giants have also completed another trade, though. They completed the first two trades of this trade period. A lot of this thus far has been we knew this was going to happen The question was, what were the details going to be? And that was definitely the case for Bobby Hill making his way to Collingwood. I hadn't realized before that his cousin is uh, Leon Davis, who was quite an accomplished player there. And he had wanted to play for Collingwood before. I hope his comeback from cancer is as complete as some of the players that we've seen in recent times. Hopefully a faster one than, say, Ben Cunnington, who unfortunately had a lot of setbacks just in terms of football injuries, Though it was great to see him back, hopefully we'll get to see him in fall next year. Hopefully it'll be, you know, the the dream for anyone coming back from cancer is the season Sam Doherty just had, at least from an individual perspective, not as much a team one. But if he can just return to form and be a decent player, that's more than what could reasonably be asked of someone who's gone through what he's dealt with. Hill's departure definitely leaves a small forward gap in the Giants' ranks. And one player who it seems could be filling that is, wait, he's not going to be a sub anymore? Yeah, Toby Bedford, you know, this is one of those guys who definitely, even before he got linked to a specific team, it was pretty clear, like, okay, Melbourne just doesn't have a full spot for you. Now he seems to have a place. Details have not been finalized on that trade yet, but it's expected to happen at this point. Bedford was named the sub 10 times this past season, And was only used twice, but was much more productive in the games in which he was named to the main 22. He kicked eight of his nine goals in those six games. Maybe, you know, there's a chance that he could end up in that role if everyone plays to their absolute fullest potential with the Giants. Clearly, you can trust him in that spot, but I don't think he's going there with any intention of being a sub. In terms of other movement that was expected to happen, Collingwood has gotten Dan McStay under contract. The Lions are getting a compensation pick in the second round for that. We'd set our piece on McStay a few times in past weeks with both Brisbane and Collingwood having remained topics of discussion in their runs up to prelim finals. Um, anything to say about Liam Jones on retiring and going back to the Dogs? I mean, we haven't seen him in full, really. Don't know enough about him as a player to say anything there. I mean, noteworthy because of the reasons for all the movement and that the Blues are getting compensation for this. But I know that when Jones was at his best, he was regarded very highly. We just don't have enough experience watching him to really understand his value. And what is two years off going to do to that? Speaking of unretiring, there is a possibility... I don't know how much truth there is to this, but it's been thrown around that a certain could return. Yeah, he's been linked to Fremantle over Essendon. I don't know how exactly he'd be able to fit in there. I mean, to have another small forward besides Switkowski would be nice. It would mean that you could keep Frederick a bit further back and keep him in more of a midfield role. Seems like it's an outside chance at this point that Walla would come back. Well, I like Frederick playing as far forward as possible because that's how he can apply the defensive pressure. But he did do well towards the middle of the ground towards the end of the year. It would be just super funny if he ends up going from Essendon to Fremantle when the first game we ever watched was Essendon versus Fremantle and he was the first player we recognized. That's why we're so obsessed with him. And he just seems like an awesome dude. That, That part's nice too. As for another Essendon thing, you know, we kind of hinged at it in the cold open, the whole Andrew Thorburn deal. It's a failure on Essendon's part that Thorburn managed to nominate himself when he was on the search panel to get the job. And that also they did they not do their research or what exactly was it? Because it should have been too obvious kind of what his position was in those other organizations The fact that he had resigned from NAB in disgrace because of a whole bunch of fee gouging that was non-service related. And that's before you go into the city on a hill stuff. You know, people can have whatever personal beliefs as long as they don't impose them on other people. But he crossed the line into imposing them on other people. And when those beliefs involve, like, repressing people, that's bad. And, you know, for him to go out and... Have this bullshit defense, you know, you can't be a Christian anymore. No, you can be whatever religion you want as long as you're not harming people. And it's not that he was taken out for being a Christian. Firstly, the official word is that he resigned, and that's important for legal reasons. And secondly, he didn't resign because he's a Christian. He resigned because he wasn't willing to part with his bigotry. You know, I could say that I'm being persecuted for my religious beliefs, you know, you can find a verse at some point in an old religious text because these old religious texts are largely very long and have a lot of things that could be interpreted to contradict each other. You know, I could say that I'm being persecuted for my beliefs because I'm now part of a religion that involves eating people. And if you don't allow me to do that, then I'm being persecuted for my religion, which involves eating people. I feel like this is a really good setup for a South Park episode, actually. The closest I can think of was in a Treehouse of Horror episode when the blue-haired lawyer was, like, basically giving Mr. Burns permission to kill people, and part of the legal defense was that, you know, killing people was part of his religion. So, akin to that. More than anything, Essengen continues to be a joke. It's so upsetting from an objective AFL- and footy fan perspective because I like so much of what their list has to offer. I've been a big advocate for next year being a breakout season for Harry Jones. Archie Perkins burst onto the scene. Dylan Shield is so important in the center. Massimo D'Ambrosio's potential is sky high as we've already seen. Gabagool. And it seemed like the group was beginning to gel a bit after the bye. And then it's all gone to shit since and I hope Richmond continues their streak against them with Ben Rudden now back at Punt Road as an assistant. Yeah, again, as I talked about, I think in a lot of ways this is worse than any sort of cheating scandal because if you're cheating, you're trying to win, and you might be trying to fuck over 17 other teams, but at least you're doing things with the intention of supporting the people within your own club. Lately, Essendon's just been fucking over their own club, which I think is worse. And it's like, I know Brad Scott seems excited to be coaching again, but I think we're starting to see, you know, why some clubs are successful and some aren't long term. Like I've seen, for example, within writing about high school sports the last few years, it's like, why are some schools successful and others aren't? They have the right leadership structure and that's above the coach level. You're talking further Support staff, AD, principal on board, district on board with things, or in the case of private schools, maybe like the diocese on board. Yeah, and these things usually come from way higher up, and you see why they haven't won a final in almost 20 years now. It's like, it all fits together. It's going to come to a point very soon, maybe even within these next couple seasons, that Essendon will have players on their AFL list that were not born the last time they won a final. You know, the shit going on at Essendon is the sort of thing where I feel like the league should be inclined to step in, whereas instead the league seems to be more interested in stepping in and just helping teams that have sucked for a while. You know, it's like, here's extra draft picks because you're bad. The thing is, I like the AFL's approach to North's care package compared to others in the past where it's just hey, congrats, you get the top two picks now. Well, North have immediately traded those picks that they were given in that care package, and they've gotten Griffin, Logan, Darcy Tucker out of them. So building the list with experience and with the versatility that Logan brings, it could be a good sign because North are thin in terms of capable, you know, one-on-one intercept backs aside from the frequently concussed Ben McKay. You can see how much they suffered When he was out and Josh Walker had to take on those top assignments, for example, they're thin in damn near every position, if we're going to be real. Fair enough. It's just the first thing that came to mind. And then in terms of forward stock, you know, there are the rucks that they can throw forward when they're not in the center. You saw some of that from Callum Coleman-Jones at the end of the year, which is nice. And hopefully Tristan Cherry can provide that as well as Todd Goldstein gets older and older. Props to Goldstein for saying he wants to stick it out at North. He wants to be a one-club guy. And I hope he had a good new year. Sticking with a club like that is doing way more than asked. Now, I just want to kind of look at the, you know, the broader club thing and, you know, giving these packages to teams, not when they're expansion teams, but just they've been shitty for a while, because that's something that doesn't happen in North American sports. We've talked about this once or twice before when this care package was announced. It feels so strange. It's not like the NCAA is going out and giving colleges extra money to hire head coaches when they've been last place in a power conference for years running. There's a reason Rutgers is Rutgers. Hey, they're chopping that wood. They're not helping opponents up after plays. They're They're Shiano Shiano men. men. If Rutgers has a game that's available on KO, it's because they're playing someone relevant. Maybe the Ohio State game got on KO this past week. To be fair, they're less of a dumpster fire than they've been, but they're still not what I would call good. But yeah, my my whole thing is just, you're against the idea of those concessions. Yeah, I believe that teams need to dig themselves out of that hole. Basically that, like, for example, you know, you can change between, you know, do we have a lottery for picks and odds are based off of worst record or do we just give it in sequential order? Baseball just shifted from sequential order to a lottery, actually. So now Major League Baseball joins the NBA and NHL in having a lottery, at least for in having a lottery for the top picks. Yeah, I'm fine with, you know, just giving the top pick to the worst team, but just all of a sudden stepping in and saying, hey, you've sucked for a really long time. Here's a care package. I'm just conceptually against that, whereas... The league should be getting involved, you know, if a club is fucked financially or has a fucked up board like Essendon. You know, I think getting involved on the administration side rather than the you can't develop or pick good players side. I get that they're trying to get the teams more even, but sometimes it does feel unmerited. And I'm a bit surprised that there's a willingness for players to still go to North in the immediate during this trade period to an extent. When the investigation into Alistair Clarkson and the old Hawthorne stuff is still going on, there's a slight surprise there, at least for me. Maybe there's optimism from those players that that'll get resolved in time. I'd like to hope that it's something that anyone who's looking at going to North, or to the Lions for that matter, since Chris Fagan was implicated in this as well, is at least doing their due diligence and not just brushing it aside. And, of course, the Lions are in conversation for multiple things. They've traded out one player already. They traded Tom Barry, brother of Jared, to the Gold Coast Suns because Tom wanted a chance at better playing time and seems like the Suns ought to provide that at some level. The Suns also got Ben Long in a trade. Again, everyone's linked to the Suns. We've been linked to the Suns. I don't think Ben Long is an amazing player, but he had a couple of really solid games. And for a younger team like Gold Coast, having an older guy like him just helps make you a bit more of a complete unit. The big Suns news, though, is the ongoing trade talks with the Crows for Isaac Rankin. Sounds like the Suns want the fifth overall pick as part of the compensation there, which I think would be appropriate. You know, Rankin's a really good player. He was a top five pick himself, pick three in 2018. He and Jack LaCosius were drafted 2-3. What really interests me in this whole saga is just what the heck the Crows forward group is going to look like because all of a sudden it's going to be a top tier forward group. Like I would put their forwards probably in, you know, the, without really looking at this or ranking it right now, maybe that's something we do later in the offseason, rank each team's position groups. But just off the top of my head, you throw ranking in there, that's probably one of the top six forward groups. Maybe in a couple years we'll say that because it is still a young group between Rankin coming in. Joshua Shelley's still feeling things out. He'll have a season in the books, though. And on the taller side, Taylor Walker's still there. Darcy Fogarty is growing into his role. And he's one that can do some acceleration and play as well with full field marqueability. Again, having him and Walker in there both for this next year or two should do wonders for both of them. Remember, though, when you said, you know, you talked about what their group could look like in a couple of years, I think that kind of discounts the fact that maybe Walker's not there after another year or two. On the smaller side, though, I think they'll look even better then. In terms of tall targets, there's also Riley Philthorpe, who's another one of those guys that I hope puts on a bit more muscle and can become stronger in contests, because we saw what he could do from the very beginning last year. If that's a guy who you want to have take... Forward ruck contests like Tom Hawkins does if he puts on just a little more weight because he's a big, strong guy already. And if he could develop kind of that strategy, you know, they'd be winning a lot of balls in the forward 50 and turning those into scores. And then all of a sudden your efficiency inside 50 goes way up. You've seen the importance of those guys this year. Hot so, in the grand right. final. Hawkins providing the first two goals. and Of course, the cat's not looking back from there. Texas, of course, that guy now for the Crows. You see Patrick Cripps start doing it more and more for Carlton. Speaking of Carlton and speaking of trades, you know how like ranking for the fifth overall pick seems appropriate? Uh, the Blues are getting Blake Acres for a third-round pick? The fuck? Seriously, you guys? The fuck? Acres is on to his third club now, having been in St. Kilda for six years and then three at Fremantle. He's only 26, though. And when he was at his best, Fremantle were at their best as well. The game against Geelong, the full court press game, as Ethan seems to refer it as, because it's the first thing that comes to your mind with that one, just how Fremantle's defensive alignment just kind of smothered a lot of Geelong's chances. Yeah, if there was like you know, a violation for spending too much time in your back 50, like, you know, an eight-second violation in the NBA or 10-second violation in college basketball. The Cats would have had a few of those. But the two guys who really stood out to me in that game were Lloyd Meek, who could also be on the move. Seems like Hawthorne is his preferred destination. have heard less about him, though. Me and, and Akers. Blake Akers, yeah. Akers also played pretty well in that finals win over the Bulldogs. The comeback, I still struggle to wrap my head around a bit. I mean, look, we talked about this before. Luke Beveridge doesn't make adjustments. And Justin Longmere does. But yeah, is kind of doing the back half wing work, flanking a bit there. Did a lot to get Fremantle's midfield and forwards going. He was opposite Michael Frederick at a lot of key points. But yeah, this is highway robbery. I mean, and especially for a position where Carlton has a clear need in wing. I was noticing throughout the year that Carlton were so much of a corridor team. Between losing him and Logue, I guess, and Tucker, I guess, really, that does mean Frio on the wing. It's going to have to be O'Driscoll moving forward, which is awesome. O'Driscoll and Frederick, and I think that could be a good thing. You know, you're definitely going to see the younger side of Fremantle's list come up right away. Hopefully, Giannis avoids any more big injury scares. Hopefully, O'Driscoll can stay on the field. going to see more and more out of Sam Sturt, Josh Tracy. If this is your first time listening, first off, welcome. Second, I think Nathan O'Driscoll is the shit. I think he's got a chance to be like one of the top wings in this league for the foreseeable future, along with Max Holmes. Thank goodness he got the Rising Star nomination because it was long overdue. And hopefully that wasn't the first time you'd heard of him. When Holmes got hurt in that Cats Dockers game, everything fell apart. I mean, there were issues to begin with structurally with the Cats' defense struggling with Frio's forward pressure. But when you lost Holmes along the wing, that just became such a big mismatch. Just this Acres trade seems disappointing for Frio because I was thinking heading to this off season, you know, you're going to have some guys who are going to want out because you just don't have enough room for everybody. You would think in turn with that, you would get some big time returns to load up on what's already a really good team. And instead, you're basically just giving Blake Akers away, letting him leave home for very little. It's going to be probably less of that for Rory Lobb if that one happens. Still a lot of question marks in that one. But I think Rio could really come out of this as some of the biggest losers in this trade period. You know, maybe it's they don't have a lot of negotiating power because it's kind of a something's gotta go situation. But at the same time, if they were negotiating well, you could say, all right, we don't have to move these guys, we can just keep them. Even if that means we've got more good players than we know what to do with. That's a good problem to have. And instead, this underwhelming acres return makes it look like they just backed themselves into a spot where they had no leverage, and that's hard to believe with the resources they have. As always, you can find us on Twitter, at Americans Footy. You can find me on Twitter, at Castle Media. You can find me on Twitter, at BenjaminHK01. You can find Brian Harambe, the footy cat, the premiership footy cat, I guess, under Ethan's bed right now, sleeping, or on Instagram, at Cat Brian. I expect that Brian will have some company soon in the form of some Brian final shirts from the Carlton draft. Yeah, I need to get on with ordering that. And I'm still figuring out which primership year I'm going to order. I need to actually, thanks for the reminder, I need to get in touch with membership people about store credit. Because I think I still have some, in which case it would get applied here. Yeah, a common thing among American athletes is, you know, you post workout videos in the offseason with the hashtag no offseason. I liked a few years ago Joe Kelly, who even if you don't follow baseball closely, you may know from him getting in a couple of fights or making that face at Carlos Correa. But anyway, a few years ago, he pioneered the hashtag yes offseason, which was just like, you know, him doing workouts with his very young kid. And I would say the best description of what we're going to be doing in the next few months is, yes, yes off season. Although, again, we'll try to pay attention to a little AFLW stuff. Hopefully more than a little. Blows my mind now that the season's still going to be this short. I'm wondering if next year, because, yeah, they kind of had two seasons this year, we'll see a longer season instead of just, what's it, like 10 rounds? And we're starting the seventh now. Yeah, women be shopping. They do be shopping. You know, I led off the episode with talking about the family factor and the go-home factor, and there is no one to whom that conversation is more relevant than Jason Horn Francis. You know, this is the first time really since Nathan Buckley. So in about three decades that you've seen a first-year player that was touted so highly immediately won out. For Buckley, it was known well in advance that it was worked into his Brisbane Bears contract, but this wasn't worked out with Horn Francis at all. He signed for two years, you know, the standard rookie thing, and after one, for a variety of reasons, he wants to head back home and Port is his preferred destination. He does have family connections there, and yes, North have been kind of a mess, and we don't know what the investigation into Aleister Clarkson brings, but there's more to that, I think. You can talk about the pressure on a number one pick. You can talk about the club's management of Horn Francis. There's so much that goes into this, but I mean, it's driving what should end up being a big trade in some way, shape or form. There's been talks that this could even end up a three-way deal, which I think are pretty rare in footy. There are talks that could involve West Coast and work in Junior Rioli in that aspect, I, for one, think the Eagles are asking far too much right now for Junior. It's going to be hard for them to get any player, I think, that belongs in the 22 in this deal. Well, a player that belongs in the Eagles 22 could be easy to come by because... A player that belongs, I guess, in a standard AFL 22. I mean, I think Mitch Georgiatis is a reach and he was in and out of the port 22. Dan Houston is never going to happen. I mean, I may buy a Dan Houston jumper if it does. I just think considering how pissed they are at Rioli for wanting out in the first place, West Coast are going to really demand a lot and try to to leverage this as much as they can. If there's a chance for some, like, good trade period drama, drama, this is it. And I think, honestly, my personal take on this is the best thing the Eagles could do is just be complete dicks. Be as difficult as possible. Just start trolling everyone as much as you can. At least get the trade done, but like last minute, inconvenience everyone else in any possible deal, especially Port Adelaide. The thing is, if they do want to present a competitive offer, say for Luke Jackson, they would want to get the picks from this sooner, I guess. I mean, I think Jackson is the one player driving the trade period more than any other. That's fair. And Frio is his likely destination, but he didn't nominate Frio. He said, get me home to the West. And if the Eagles are able to do something with pick two, maybe split it into a couple picks and leverage one of those in a trade, power to him. I don't see it, but it's the approach that I'd consider taking. I'm happy that the Eagles are bringing in Jaden Hunt, by the way. They need some more experience at halfback other than Mr. Glass Bones and Paper Skin, Elliot Yo who did look all right once he was moved back from the midfield. But again, I was born with glass bones and paper skin. I think Hunt could end up being a good influence on Jermaine Jones in that position. I mean, we talked about Hunt a decent amount near the end of the season because of his importance, for example, in Melbourne's win over Carlton round 22. This just in, speaking of Elliot Yo, the sound waves from this podcast have ruptured both of his eardrums. He will be sidelined for another six months. This is Elliot Yo, not skinny Zion Williamson. Anyway, where the Eagles are, I hope they really look at doing like a full deep rebuild instead of just trying to patch things up with some guys. Because, you know, Jaden Hunt's a quality player, but mm-hmm. that's the sort of move that would be more on par with a team that's looking to kind of patch things up short term than really, you know, scrub this thing, strip it down, and then... Build it back up. That's the approach that they need to take, especially when their older premiership players do take up the majority of their salary caps still. Of course, Kennedy's now off the books, but players like Nat Nui, Darling, etc. I'm looking forward to a fuller season out of Darling, a fuller preseason to be exact, because he grew into things nicely and hopefully Nat Nui can be healthier, but that's a further off chance than Darling having a better 2023 I mean, if you want to make a pitch to Luke Jackson, it's you'll be the number one Ruck a lot sooner with the Eagles than you will with Frio. Whereas Frio's pitch is, did you like winning a grand final? You can do that with us. Where you'll play is another question. I mean, are they going to have him sort of like as a roving Ruck mid type thing, which I heard a couple times between him and Sean Darcy would be interesting to sort out. And hopefully Boyd gets a chance somewhere. Whatever return Melbourne ends up getting for Jackson needs to be really good, because if not, we could be talking about the Demons a few years down the road as, you know, they had all this and they only won one premiership out of it. I've mentioned that there's a Jagger-Skilbeck video in the waiting about Melbourne. It's going to be even more of one if that's the case. You know, you already had the punch-up, the just post-buy, mediocrity this year, even without that, because teams figured out how to match up against them. Melbourne need a lot more than just Jacob Van Marie coming up and Brody Grundy coming in. That's not going to solve their forward issues alone. Yeah, it's weird. Things just felt kind of stagnant at Melbourne at times down the stretch. Again, teams figured out how to defend against them bombing things into the 50. And they're not a team with the kind of contested mark strength to the point that that strategy was going to work for the longer term for them. Ben Brown is near the end of his playing days. Max God's tall, but can be outdone physically at times and just isn't a great kick. There's that, too. And maybe that's why Grundy is so attractive to the D's. And he's willing to take a pay cut to get there. Hey, where have I heard that before? While we're on the demon subject, I hope that Now that he'll have an in with Grundy, Mason Cox will get to meet Pickett and get his autograph. Speaking of Kazi Pickett, I think team's defensive game plans are going to have to really start focusing on him. You know, when you're in your meetings discussing game plans and strategies, he should be the first guy when you're talking about how are we going to defend them? Because we saw last year the sort of energy that just permeated the entire team anytime he got going. Thanks, Basil. Kazi over Bailey Fritch, I guess, as that sort of forward focus because... Oh, easily. Yeah. Easily, yeah, because, again, Fritch gets into good positions, but doesn't have the sort of finesse that Kazi has. Fritch isn't that low-to-the-ground, ball-winning type of player that Kazi is. And no disrespect to Fritch, Not at all. I mean, he kicked a goal in every game his team played this season. Only player in the league about whom you can say that. He will find those openings. He just isn't the sort of momentum player, I think, that Kazi can be. Giving up four goals to Fritsch is totally different than giving up four goals to Pickett. Now on the topic of Mason Cox, he and Darcy Cameron are going to have even more responsibility than before with the weight of expectation back on Collingwood once again. Are they going to be enough? Maybe Nathan Kruger gets to do some rock work. He's a pretty big dude. Do you expect his shoulder is going to hold up? Remember, he dislocated it twice in as many appearances. His first two appearances with the Pies and only got back for finals. And aided Begg may not have the physicality and is still a pretty raw talent that needs some VFL time still. Reef McGinnis is on the taller side, but he's a little bit skinnier. Never thought of him as a player that could be like that at all. I thought of him as kind of an inside mid-half forward. But yeah, he's another one where would love to see more time there. And Collingwood's in a good youth and experienced spot at nearly every position. I just hope, even with the players they're bringing in, that's going to make for an even more crowded list than it already was. I hope McKinnis gets his chances because I really liked watching him before he got hurt. And that, that said... I think opportunities will be there because, you know, Collingwood may have a similar record next year to this year. I think they probably take a small step back. I think they'll be in the hunt for finals at minimum. But the amount of things that went right for them in terms of health, you know, you lost a bunch of guys early in the season, but then you were basically able to run the same team out there every week the rest of the way. And with just nobody really sucking, you know, at some point someone's going to have a shit game or multiple shit games and there will be opportunities there. And of course, you don't expect a team to win half of their games by two goals or fewer. But that's what Cardiac Collingwood did. I'm excited to see what the follow-up act looks like from the Pies. Because it could go in a lot of different directions. Like, I think they might have the widest range of possible outcomes next season out of any team. Or at least the widest range of outcomes where you could look at what happens with them and say... Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like the Dogs are there, the Ds are there, the Lions if Fagan's gone, the Blues because they're the Blues. I I would throw the Lions out of that because I still think the Lions have a pretty high floor unless something goes catastrophically wrong. Again, a lot can change if their coaching changes. I still think talent-wise, you'd have to have a pretty awful coach to fuck up what they've got. It can be done. Oh, failure can happen anywhere, anytime. I mean, the Lions are currently preparing for Fagan to return ahead of the start of the preseason per John Ralph. When you're thinking about teams that have that sort of range of possibilities, you're usually thinking of a younger team like Hawthorne and the Hawks are going to get younger in all likelihood with Jack Gunston looking like he's going to be a Lion as well. So more responsibility on Mitch Lewis there, Dylan Moore to be not just a first quarter or first half player. He fixed that towards the end of the year. I think he's got a chance to leave that reputation behind him. That said, if he starts the year off like that again, I think it'll kind of be stuck on him. Another team that I can see that range for is a team we already talked about a bit in the Suns, to whom we may be traded. Who knows? That's a team that's still in flux in a lot of ways with what their roster's going to look like next year, who they're actually going to get out of their potential targets. I guess... That's one of the teams I'm most excited to follow throughout this trade period because there's a lot more unpredictability with their potential moves than with just about anyone else. I mean, I'm waiting for the real unpredictability to come about. So far in the trade period, we've expected the moves that have come. Otherwise, it's been pick swaps trying to get either more attractive single assets or stockpiling picks in order to get trades like The Lions getting another first rounder to see if they can get the Dunkley deal done. When we get to the nicest episode of all next time around, I hope to be talking about more things that we didn't see coming. We've talked a lot about the future in this episode, but do want to focus on the past season a little bit. We've gotten 17 of the 18 club best and fairest now. And in fact, we have 18 winners. For some reason, though, Port still said nothing about when John Cahill Medal Night is, to our knowledge, but everybody else has theirs done with. I mean, I guess you're surprised that there was a tie in the Carji Greaves Medal account, Ethan. Yeah, and I'm surprised that Cam Guthrie was one of the two, along with Jeremy Cameron. I thought it could have been Cameron, could have been Sam DeConing. Mm. I knew DeConing, I expected DeConing to be a top ten, and he was. Maybe could have even seen Tyson Stengel, but... Or I thought Mark Blitzov's was a distinct possibility. That was really, if I had to bet on anyone, I would have said Blitzov's. Other than Cameron, that is. Cameron and Blitzov's definitely would have been the two most likely. So that was a bit of a surprise. Also for Tom Lynch to win Richmond's, you know, great to see a forward actually win an award. But, you know, like Dion Presti, I kind of got snubbed there. Got snubbed from All-Australian consideration as well, too. Never the first guy you think you think of in that Richmond midfield when there's the specter of Dustin Martin, but don't think the Tigers would be anywhere near where they've been without him in the past six years. It's no coincidence that he's in all three of their premiership teams in recent times. I guess Jai Simpkin winning the Sid Barker might be a little bit of a surprise. I would have gone with Luke Davies' uniak there. Maybe a less even output from him, especially at the start of the season. Josh Dunkley winning the Dogs Best in Ferris, the Charles Sutton medal, adds a nice little wrinkle into everything with his impending departure. He deserved winning that. Although, I think if Tim English had stayed healthy, he'd probably have taken it. And great to see defenders winning a couple of these. Sam Taylor and Tom Barris winning for GWS and West Coast, respectively. Where the Brownlow votes didn't show up, the club honors did. We've done a lot of our other retrospective discussion on the season team by team with our tandem of so you didn't crack the eight episodes and the post-mortems when the other teams bowed out. But we had never really put it all together in a nice condensed format and something with the kind of humor that we're trying to get at here. So I had thought of a sort of musical venture for a while as I'm apt to do. And Ethan had some input on this as well. Yeah, I'm basically the agent here. You know, you do all of the singing and arranging and performing. And leave the rest to us. And our office does, of course, have a nice fountain, as all agencies do. And you're going to end up taking way too much of the money anyway. Oh, hell yeah. But instead of our normal outro for this episode, we will leave you with something that I came up with the idea for, and then Benjamin really put together and did all the work on... And I guess we'll both reap the profits. So, again, you can find us on Twitter at AmericansFooty, Footy, me at BenjaminHK01, me at Casual Media, Brian Harambe on Instagram, a cat named Brian. And uh, here's what I'd like to call We Didn't Bounce the Sharon. Thanks for listening.
0: Returning to the G. Hello, full capacity. Welcome back, Sam Doherty. Chapman saves the day. Buddy kicks his thousandth goal. Eagles top, loves COVID's toll. Dawson showed out, 51 season underway. best on ground. Caretakers winning out. Someone sets the captain's bar. Bulldogs kicking isn't hard. Umpire, are you kidding me? Arms out is a 50. Construction
2: guy, guild resign. Power fall at 0 and 5. We did it, bounce the Sharon. It was always rolling since the sirens tolling. We did it, bounce the Sharon. and we run 15 and so we did
0: it? Can't give their fans a rest, Hawthorne just puts out of breath, Dockers run a full court press. Karen's footy is a mess. Kord's hates jacket of it. Kord's loves jacket of it. Leon Cameron out he goes. News of Walla follows. Rio's enemy is rain, but norm renaming is their game. Arms out 50 meets it said. Please don't bring it up again. Nichols jumpers looking great. Sammy Reed is back to stay Noxia punches
2: David May. Fast like a cocaine. Did it bounce the Sharon it was always rolling since the sirens tolling. We didn't bounce the sheriff If we run 15 and so we didn't beat it <laughs>
0: Tigers, we! cardiac, Collingwood, Anderson's last kick is good. David Noble stack by door. Saints have gone up like support. 20 tackles, Rory Laird. Tigers beat themselves, I swear. Or I guess they draw themselves against the Dockers at the bell. Round 19, Q,
2: Clash, Elliot, have a blast! We didn't bounce the sharing. It was always rolling since the sirens tolling. We didn't bounce the sharing. And we run with so we did it, made it
0: Kennedy goes out with eight loses but the story's great Paddy Cripps can play, I guess But Conzie Pickett is the best Sydney stops the magpie streak Final round means everything D's route, I squeak through Dogs play on, but not the blues These are better, run, right? 10 stangle All Australian, week one finals What the hell, five in black Rivero, well, Lions, Cats, and Swans Survive with Rio dogs, no alibi Sammy's Brisbane, break their curse Monday bowels, that man that hurts Cats roll, Swans advance Round the grips, Dangerous
2: Smith, so what the yeah. We didn't bounce the sheriff It was always rolling since the sirens tolling We didn't bounce the sheriff Up where didn't and so we're playing On and 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 on We didn't bounce the sheriff It was always rolling since the sirens tolling Sharon, if we brought 15 and so we didn't mean it, we didn't bounce the sheriff it was always wrong.